Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Today we'll be looking at verses 3 through 5. We looked at verses 1 through 1 and 2 on last Sunday and talked about the, the whole question that the Apostle Paul was being asked related to his um, statements in chapter 5 that said, Where grace, or excuse me, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And all of his much more statements there, talking about how much more Christ has done than Adam has done. We fell in Adam, we had our death, sinful death in Adam, but in Christ he has made us alive. He has done so much more than Adam did. So our condition in Christ is greater than our condition was in Adam. And so Paul says, and where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so some began to ask Paul, well, Paul, if that's the case, then should we not go on sinning so that grace can abound all the more? Is it not a good idea that we just walk in sin, live in sin, confess Christ, but live the way we've always lived in all of the sins of the flesh? And, and, and then God's grace will just have to be greater than we could ever imagined. And Paul answered that in verse 1 or verse 2, really, he said, and what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Heavens, no. To Paul, that was the most foreign idea that could have ever been proposed. Yes, it may sound that way at one level, especially to an unregenerate mind, that, well, shoot, I can just say I, I, can say I believe in Jesus, and I can have everything I want to do in the world, and I don't have to worry about it. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. The reason it's not the case is, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Doesn't mean we can't sin, because we do. Doesn't mean that we won't still struggle with sin, because we do. But it does mean that we cannot live in it in a perpetual state of unrepentance, a perpetual state of sinfulness, whereby we say to God, God, I just want to be able to give you a chance to give me more grace. So here's my sin. I'm just going to keep on sinning. Paul said that is totally incongruent with the, with the Christian life. It just makes no logical, biblical, or spiritual sense. Because in Christ you have died. You have died to the old man. You have died to the old self. You are now alive in Christ. And he says it's just not it's just not good reasoning to say, maybe if I just keep sinning, then God will even get more glory because His grace will abound all the more. Now, I told you last week that, that verses 1 and 2 are His expression. The rest of verses 3 through uh, 14 are really uh, an exposition of that or an analysis of that or a step-by-step -step understanding of that. And we're going to look at just one of them today. And we're going to look at it very very briefly as we come to the Lord's table. But I think, it's, I think it's good that God's brought us to this passage today talking about baptism and, and, and the, the whole act of baptism and what that really means. True baptism, I think, is what I called it as, as a title to the sermon and, and what it means in relation to the Lord's table. Because even as we sang this morning, I, I just heard the uh, it resonated with the Lord's table as we sang, And Can It Be? A, a great hymn. And, and uh, I, I love that last verse. As Jeff said, that was his favorite. I'll, I'll take that one as my second favorite. I like the third one, my favorite. Because as long my imprisoned spirit lay, I was in prison. I was enslaved to sin. 
That's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6, 1 and 2 and, and chapter 5. For so long I was imprisoned. I was enslaved to sin. I was fast bound in sin and nature's night. I was in darkness. Sin brought darkness. Then listen to this. Your eye, or thine eye, your eye, O Lord, diffused a quickening ray. Out of the, his eye, brightness and light came while we were living in darkness. And, and when that happened, it says, the, the, I awoke out of my sin and out of my darkness. I awoke, and, and the room was filled with the light. The dungeon flamed with the light. The dungeon of my imprisonment. My chains fell off. My bondage fell off. I died to self. And when I was set free by your diffusing light, when I was set free by your grace, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. How can it be? How can it be that God loved us so much and that God's grace was so powerful that he set us free from sin and slavery and death in such a dramatic way. So Paul says, I want you to see, I want you to understand that, that we cannot live in perpetual sin, a, a besetting sin, a sin that rules our life because we've died to sin. And it cannot rule in us. He'll talk about that later in this passage. But hear the text for this morning as he begins to expound on that. Paul says, do you not know, Paul loves that phrase throughout all of his letters, have you not heard, are you not aware of this fact, he almost says it with, with this idea that I'm shocked that you don't show that you understand this. It's so clear, Paul would say, it's so, so obvious, Paul would say, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And this is the word of our Lord. The Apostle Paul uses the imagery of baptism. And he talks about what baptism shows us, what it pictures for us, what it illustrates for us. When someone goes through the waters of baptism, literal water, and I I think he has in mind here that even even Tim Keller in his commentary on Romans chapter 6, Tim Keller being a Presbyterian and so a paedo-baptist, even Tim Keller says what Paul has in mind here is the idea of immersion in water. 
Because the word baptizo carries with it the idea of being taken under. It's sometimes used, baptizo is sometimes used for a ship that sinks or sometimes used for death by drowning. They, they drowned by baptizo, they, they died by baptizo because they went under the water and they drowned. And, and we know that in the, in the trade world, the idea of baptizo carries with the idea of, of the merchant taking a white piece of cloth and dipping it into a vat of dye and bringing it out of that vat and it being a different color, being changed, being something totally new from what it was. So the Apostle Paul says, do we not know, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Baptism is a picture of what takes place when the the diffusing light of God's eye flames forth in the dungeon of our sin and, and, and we see him for the first time, and our chains fall off, and we are set free. That is, that's what Paul is saying here. When, when you recognize what has happened, it's being illustrated, it's being pictured by baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Paul is not preaching some kind of baptismal regeneration here. He's not saying that once you go through the water, then you are saved. He is saying, listen, don't you know that if you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, into Him by His Holy Spirit, then what you have done in showing it in your baptism, your confession of faith before men, before the church, before the world, your baptism that is a visible thing, a visual thing, shows the world what has taken place in your life. You have died. And you have been buried, taken under the water, into the watery grave. You've been buried with Christ. You have died with Christ. I mentioned last week that Christ not only died for us on the cross, but we died with Him on the cross if we are in Christ. And so he says we have been baptized into His death. And if we were baptized into His death, don't you know that we will be raised from the dead to the glory of the Father that we might walk in newness of life? Don't you see the, the visual nature, the vivid nature of what, if you have professed Christ through baptism, really is saying? It's not saying I joined a church. It's not saying, oh, I, I understand that there's some rituals that we need to go through in order to to fulfill this command of Christ to go into all the world and baptize men and women in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not a ritualistic thing. It's not just a formal thing. It is a visual presentation of what God has done in your life by His Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus, whereby you have died to sin and died to self and now are raised to newness of life in Him. It's a glorious truth. It's a glorious picture. It's something that that Paul says we must comprehend, we must grasp if we're going to understand what it means to walk in Christ in a daily, consistent manner. He says, you have been baptized. We who have been baptized. Now, I want to contend to you that there are a lot of people who have been baptized by water who have never been baptized in the way Paul's thinking about. There are a lot of people who have gone through the ritual. I went through the ritual when I was 12 years old. I didn't know regeneration. I didn't know newness of life until I was 19 or 20 years old at the University of Alabama. When God shone that light in my dungeon and the lights came on and I saw my sin and I trusted Him 
for the very first time. I, I, I had gone through the water. I had gone through the ritual, if you will, because everybody else my age was doing it. But it meant nothing. It wasn't until on the campus of the University of Alabama, sitting under Denny Chimes one cold, rainy night at about 1 a.m., that it was dark there, but light came on in my soul, and I saw my need for Christ. My chains fell off, and I rose up and followed Him because of the work of His Spirit in my life. So Paul is not just saying here, don't you know that anybody who's, who's gone through a ritual uh, is okay. He's saying, but those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. And that baptism is just the reality of what is illustrated through water baptism. Does that mean water baptism is unimportant? Absolutely not. Does that mean water baptism isn't a sign of of professional faith, that's exactly what it is. Does that mean that water baptism by itself will not do anything for me other than get me all wet? That's exactly what he's saying. If the reality of baptism has not taken place in your life before you're water baptized, the water baptism means absolutely nothing. Nothing. But it's what happens in the life of a believer through the work of the Holy Spirit, shining light into your dungeon breaking your chains of slavery to sin and setting you free. That means everything. And that's why in the the next verse, that fourth verse of of, uh, Wesley's hymn, Charles Wesley's hymn, he starts it out with Romans chapter 8 verse 1, no condemnation now I dread. That is pretty exciting. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Clothed in His righteousness. Because of His work in my life, bringing about my death, my burial, and my resurrection to newness of life in Christ. said, bold, I approach the eternal throne, the throne of grace. I don't have to go timidly. I don't have to go fearfully because Christ has clothed me in his righteousness and I belong to him and I've been baptized into him and I've been, I've been buried with him. I've been raised with him. Because of that, I can boldly approach the throne, the eternal throne of God's grace and claim my crown through Christ my own. It's not a crown I earned. It's not a crown that I somehow say, God, I deserve. But it's a crown that is in Christ. It's a crown that's based on the fact that He has done His work in my life. And I don't have to be shy about it. I don't have to be worrisome about it. I go boldly because The writer of Hebrews says, boldly approach the throne of His grace because He has saved you out of your darkness. Now look at verse 5 before we come to this table. Verse 5 says, "For, For if, and that's an anticipating 
understanding that this has happened, what I just said in verses 3 and 4. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, Paul would say, and we have, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The, the whole picture there is this idea of being united, being in union with Christ. Uh, 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 that word can also be translated as grafted. Like you go out in the, your, your garden or your, uh, take a tree and you graft a, something into that tree and you, you bind it up so that it begins to grow together. Paul says we are united in Christ in the way that we have been grafted into him. We were not naturally a part of Him. We were naturally in Adam. We were naturally a part of the world. But now, because of His grace and because of of, of His work in our life, because we have died, we have now been united. We have now been grafted together with Him. We are in union with Jesus Christ. There's a lot of practical reality to that. That means where you go, Christ goes. Now, I realize that God is omnipotent and omnipresent and all those things. And wherever you are, God is there. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. I recognize that. But, but Paul is saying, understand this. You are in union with Christ in such a way that everywhere you go, in a very unique and mystical and special way, Christ goes with you. So if you walk into sin and you choose to walk in sin, Christ is walking with you there if you are indeed un- in union with Him. And that will bring about conviction. That will bring about, uh, that will bring about a troubling spirit because He is there by His Holy Spirit to bring conviction and to bring cleansing, and to bring us to repentance. You see, this is, this is, I hope you read this this way. This is a very freeing, very exhilarating, very, very precious passage of Scripture. Because it tells me in absolute clarity, without any equivocation whatsoever, that I am never alone in this world. I never walk into anything by myself. I don't have to have my best friend with me. I don't have to have my wife with me. I don't have to have my kids with me in order to say I'm not alone. When I walk into any situation in all this world, I walk into it never alone because I'm in union with Christ and He is there with me. Now that means that either I'm dragging Him into the pits of my disobedience or He's there with me to give me strength to resist the temptation that would lead me into disobedience. You understand? I can't say, I've got this temptation that's just too great for me. I just can't overcome it. That's not true because if you're united with Christ, if you're in union with Christ, He is there with you and His righteousness and His grace and His power will help you to stand against that temptation. And that's what the scripture means when it says there's no temptation that's overtaken you in such a way that you cannot resist it. All mankind's been tempted that way. But you've been given something special to be able to resist that temptation, and that is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ because you are in union with Him. You are united with Him. You are grafted into Him. Some people misquote that verse and say, you know, you know what the Bible says? God will never put more on you than you can handle. 
The Bible never says that, folks. They usually take that verse, he will not lead you into any temptation that you can't have an escape from. That's what he does say. But, but he leads us into all sorts of situations that we can't handle so that we will cry out to him and say, Oh, Lord God, give me strength. Lord, you are with me in this. I am in union with you. I am here. I can't do this, but you can. And I trust in you. So baptism is that initiatory illustration, if you will, or that initiatory right that says, I, I, I belong to Christ. I'm in union with Christ, not because that water does anything in that pool up there, but I'm in union with Christ because of His work in my life that that pool just illustrates and helps you to see what I'm professing before a watching world. It helps you to see the power of the gospel in my life, not the power of water in my life, the power of the gospel in my life that leads to newness of life. It's a great practical truth, folks. If you're in union with Christ, wherever you go, He goes with you. If you're in union with Christ, He'll never leave you or forsake you. If you're in union with Christ, He will always protect you. If you're in union with Christ, you are there by His righteousness. He loves you so much, He'll care for you. If, if we've been united with Him in death, we will also be united with Him in resurrection. We sang that glorious day. There's a day coming, there's a glorious day in the day He saved us. There's a glorious day in the way He sanctifies us. There's a glorious day in the way He works in our life every day. There's a glorious day every time we come together corporately to worship the Lord together on Sunday morning. I mean, that, that's a glorious day in my eyes. But there's a glorious day coming when He will return again and we will be raised in absolute, total completeness of new life in Him. If we're dead in the grave, we'll come out of the grave. Dead in Christ will rise first. If we're alive when He comes, we will raise up, rise up with Him. And in that rising, we will see our glorified bodies expressed and we will be freed from the, not only the power of sin, not only from the penalty of sin, but we will be freed from the presence of sin both in our life and around us. What a glorious day that will be when we see Him face to face. That's what this meal is meant to declare. You know, before He died... He went with his disciples to the upper room and there he prepared the Passover and he prepared the meal with them and he took the Jewish Passover and he he basically just reinterpreted the whole thing. It had been about leaving the slavery of of Egypt. Now it's about leaving the slavery of your life, your sin, and your your dungeon. The Passover had been about the the lamb that was offered and the the unleavened bread that was made and the the blood that was on the the doorpost that the death angel passed over. Up till then, they celebrated that, rejoiced in an exodus. But in in the Lord's Supper, he's saying, let me tell you something. There is a greater exodus than the exodus of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. It's a greater exodus. It's an exodus out of sin and out of shame and out of slavery and out of rebellion into the glorious light of the gospel. Just as the children of Israel went out from Egypt, we go out from our slavery and our our, our servanthood to sin and death. And so he said, that's what this is all about. I've told you about the the Jewish man that that I shared with, and he ultimately came to faith in Christ by God's grace in in Florida one time. He he wanted me to, he, he was in jail. I loved to 
witness people in jail, they're a captive audience, you know. And, and so he was in jail. He knew he had a problem. He was Jewish, been a Jew, been Jewish from birth, and was ethnically a Jew, but was really not religiously anything. But when he, he called me one day and he said, I want you to bring, I want you to bring me two Bibles. I want you to bring me my Bible and your Bible. And I knew what he was talking about. He wanted a Torah and he wanted a, a, a New Testament. And, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll, bring you, I'll bring you that. And I went to the Jewish bookstore and bought a, bought a book of the Torah. And I, I took him a, I didn't take him just a New Testament. I took him a whole Bible. Uh, and I said, this is really my Bible. The, it's, it's, it's part of what you call your Bible, but we, we'll, we'll take it and we'll look at both of these. And he said, well, I'm going to read, I'm going to start at the book of Genesis and I'm going to read it all the way through. And I said, well, I'm not sure that's the best method. He said, I don't, that's what I'm going to do. I want to read my Bible first, and then I'll read your Bible. I said, okay, that's fine. So I would talk to him periodically, and we would converse about what he was reading. And, and he, he got into numbers, and he got a little bogged down there just a little bit, you know, as, as we all do anyway. But, but he read on through, and he finally got to the Gospels, read through the Prophets, and he started reading the Gospels. And he, and he got in, in, in the Gospels to reading about the Lord's Supper. And then he looked back over the Gospels again. And he called me one day and he said, you've got to come see me. And I said, okay, I'll come see you. He said, no, I mean, you've got to come today. And I was very busy that day, but I said, okay, I'll work it out. I'll come see you today. And I went and got permission about, from the jailer to go to the Seminole County Jail. And I... I went in, and they, they put us in the chapel together. They have a little chapel there, and they, they put us in the chapel. And, and he looked angry. And, and I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I done? And, and at least we've got guards all around us. He won't hurt me here, I don't think. And, and, but he looked angry, and I said, what, what is the problem? He said, why have I never been told this? And I went, told what? He said, your Bible just interprets my Bible. Your Bible shows what everything's all about that was being pointed to that's now come to fruition in Jesus Christ. I said, well, I have told you that, but you just didn't listen. But now the Holy Spirit's telling you that, and you're listening. And he came to faith in Christ because he saw that the Passover, as beautiful as it was, is magnified and glorified and, and exalted in the Lord's Supper. When Jesus gathered his disciples around him and said, this is my body, this bread, it's not just about getting out of Egypt. This bread is about getting out of sin. All those lambs that were offered, they pointed to me, the true lamb of God. Here's, my, here's the bread, take it and eat it. And this blood, this, this, this fruit of the vine, is not just about blood that was spread on a doorpost so a death angel could pass over the Israelites. The, the blood is pointing to the fact that, that my blood will be shed on your behalf to establish the new covenant. And in my blood, all death will be done away with in the life of the believer. Because the new covenant will be established in my blood. So he took those elements and he said, you know, I, I'm about to go to a cross. They didn't want to hear that. 
I'm about to die. I'm doing it on your behalf. I'm doing it that you might have forgiveness of sin. And if you have been baptized into Christ, as Paul talks about in this passage, take and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. So you see, as we come to this table, we come to remember what he has done and we come to proclaim that he's coming again. We do it as, as Grace Baptist Church once a, month, once a month on the third Sunday, usually of every month. And, and we come to this table and we say we want to remember. We want to remember the work of grace that he's done in our life and in our church. We want to remember the sacrifice. We want to remember the cross. We want to remember the grave and then the tomb that was empty three days later. We want to remember all that. We want to remember that he rose from the dead. As a fact of history. Not just some kind of religious whim. But oh. We want to proclaim that we do believe because he has said he was. We do believe he's coming again. And what a glorious day that will be. So as we come to this table, we come as baptized believers. A reality of his spirit baptizing us into Him, in Christ, in union with Him. If you're here this morning, that's your situation. You are in Christ. You are a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ. I invite you to the table. This is not the Grace Baptist table. It's not even just the Baptist table. It's the Lord's table. It's for every disciple of His. If If you're here and you're not a believer... I ask you to think about the elements and as you let them pass you by. The bread that represents his body that hung on a cross as a substitute and as a sacrifice. And the juice that represents his blood that was poured out as a seal of the new covenant. And consider Christ And call out for His mercy and His grace and ask the Holy Spirit to show you your need for a Savior. And that Christ is the only, only Savior. Would you pray with me?